My pappy said, son, you're gonna drive me to drinking if you don't stop driving that hot rod Lincoln. It's supposed to be the greatest weekend in motorsports. F1's Grand Prix of Monaco, the Indy 500, the Coke 600, and there's a lot of snoozing going on. We also are going to talk about a strange streak that Kevin Harvick broke this weekend, and we're going to update the halfway point of the regular season. That's all this week here on 5 to Go. They arrested me and they put me in jail and they called my pappy to throw my bail. And he said, son, you're going to drive me to drinking if you don't stop driving that hot rod Lincoln. Good day, everybody. Hope you had a very reflective Memorial Day. So come out of that holiday here and begin the summer season, although summer doesn't begin until the end of June. I'm Doug Fireball Turnbull, and welcome here to the 5 to Go Racing Podcast, where we discuss mainly NASCAR, but we also talk about other motorsports. We talk about other issues in the world, how they intersect motorsports, and we go deep on five issues each week. Sometimes we do more, and we try not to just do race recaps. We try to take a different zig or zag from what a normal racing talk show or podcast is. So, like I said, I'm Doug Fireball Turnbull. Eric Von Hessler, the daily host here in Atlanta, Georgia, of the Von Hessler Doctrine on WSB Radio and the WSB Radio app, iTunes, all of that. He is on vacation this week, but Dan Elliott never takes vacation, and he is with us right here, the awesome mechanic from Dawsonville. How you doing, buddy? Doing great. How about you? I'm doing wonderful, man. I'm Hope really- everybody had an awesome and safe weekend, and uh, going to miss the doctor, Eric Von Hessler, this morning, but uh, we'll try to carry on without him. Yeah, Eric, we're really close. Eric, Eric and I were really close, and you during this hour. But I didn't even know he was on vacation until I saw an email from management talking to who was filling in for his talk shows, and I said, "Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> guess we're, guess Dan and I are standing on two legs today." So, no, but it's it's good, Dan. And Eric had to miss last week for some different scheduling commitments, but should be back very soon. There's no no, no monkey business going on, guys. We yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, Dano, you and I talked a little bit via text message and phone. After Sunday's triple header, you had F1 early in the morning, about 9. Actually, not that early for an F1 race. Those usually start really early. This time it was at 9 a.m. They ran the Grand Prix of Monaco. That is kind of, I would say, their their big race of the season. Certainly the setting and the tight corners. it's, It's one of the most celebrated courses. And it was led from the pole every single lap. And the guy that led all the practices won the race, Daniel Ricciardo, which is very popular win, very popular win. Then you go to the Indy 500. They had a different package, low downforce, very hard to pass. The leaders usually got out front and stayed out front. Ed Carpenter, Tony Kanaan, among those that led a lot of laps. In the end, you did get a first-time winner in the 500, the a previous series champion and race winner of Will Power. But there was not a lot of – until the very end of the race when people really ramped things up, there was not a lot of passing in long green flag runs. And then you get to NASCAR, Kyle Busch, Dan leads or wins stage one two the extra stage stage three stage four he wins that's the final one he leads oh what is it 377 laps to win the coke 600 very similar to what truex did two years ago dano the greatest weekend in motorsports the biggest one of the biggest spectacles in motorsports what taste was left in your mouth after dominating performances and two of them and one that it was hard to pass in you know, I watched the, the, the Indy race first, and I really think that um, – I really thought through the whole race that it was going to be a setup at the end where that we would see a bid for the lead by three, four, five cars maybe, and the setup was there. It just didn't materialize, and, um, you know, got to congratulate Will Power because – 
he was not the dominant car, didn't seem to be the one that I would have picked to have been there at the end, but with the fuel mileage and attrition and um, the wrecks, obviously, and it was um, it was his race. It certainly was. Ed Carpenter and Tony Kanaan seemed to really be the drivers that had it figured out out front, and there were some others. It's, it, what was interesting was at the end, when the, all the chips were on the table, yeah, people suddenly started racing hard, and the the real power. The I said real power, like willpower. The real problem was that these cars were so on edge; they were very hard to control. They really were. There were so many single car spinouts. Took Kanan wrecked. Elio Castroneves, Danica Patrick, in her final racing start, she wrecked about lap seventy or so. Uh, and and there was just no give. There was no saving a race car once it stepped out. It was out. And so I think drivers, with the exception of Alexander Rossi, who started in thirty second and drove pretty much all the way to the front, took all race to do it. Pe- people just chilled out on green flag runs. They knew if they pushed it too hard, they wouldn't be able to pass, and they would wreck out. Was that what you? observed also yeah it really was um it was definitely a different day all across the spectrum in in the sports world the motorsports world to me and um it was you know i I was kind of excited that the end of the race i really thought would be one that i'd kind of be on the edge of my seat to see yeah who could muscle their way to the front because we saw some interest interesting racing during the event to where that um, there were a few cars that um, could pass where no others could and and seemed to have a definite edge. But when it came down to the end, willpower just drove away and it was kind of um, kind of disappointing the way it ended. Although I will say in the laps before it, we it was but five, seven laps to go. You had Oral Servia up front, followed by Stefan Wilson and Jack Harvey. Drivers that you were not expecting to have any kind of shot. And Servia immediately lost the lead on the restart. And suddenly you see the late IndyCar driver, Justin Wilson's brother, Stefan Wilson, up there leading the Indy 500. A guy who I've just read about. I didn't follow this story, but I guess he had to give up his ride last year to Fernando Alonso. And Alonso came over from F1 to run run the Indy 500, and Stefan Wilson was milking fuel mileage. It looked like he was maybe in, in a shot to win the thing, and then they literally pulled into pit road right as the race went green or after the first lap, and that handed the lead to Will Power, and just nobody came out of charge. Let's juxtapose, Dan, what we saw in this Indy 500 with what we've seen in past years, which has been a, pl- a package that really – uh, really promoted the slingshot pass. It seemed like there was almost too many lead changes. It was almost too many. It was too random in years past. Maybe it, it, did you think about those other races and what you've seen in the last five years or so? Yeah, I kind of was was kind of excited about it, and um, you know, and and to see it end the way it did, it was it was sort of kind of a letdown. But um, good race, and um, not going to throw off on the packages or or the winner, or anything like that. Um, the only thing that I can honestly say about the event is you read the internet or pick up the paper, and there's a picture of Danica wrecked, and then Will Power wins the race, and kind of throws me back to 83 when we won the first race at Riverside, and it was the last race of the season. Bobby Allison won the championship, and that overshadows anything yeah. that you do on a given day. And... I hated to see Danica wreck. I did, but leading up to that, uh, leading up to the Indy race, that was what I saw a lot of was coverage of her. 
And then after the event was the same thing, okay? And now we're going to get to see whatever endeavors she's in, clothing and, and announcing and, and other things. And um, yeah, lifestyle looks like, and yeah, things like that. that yeah, that seems like that'll go on like we've said about this before. It's the lifestyles of the rich and famous or the rock star status, whatever it is. Well, and we cannot ignore, though, Danica Patrick's presence in motorsports, and particularly in indie racing where she's had some success. And so, Dan, you and I were talking about women that have run in the Indy 500, and she is the most successful that has done that. I'm looking at Janet Guthrie. Her best career finish was ninth in the Indy 500. She did, uh, she did run in the Indy 500. She was the first one to do that. Let's see. How many times did it say? She had only three starts in, the, in that race. Danica Patrick, meanwhile, had eight career starts in the Indy 500. Best career finish of third in 2009, her last year before she started dabbling in NASCAR. She's led 29 laps in that race, and she did it from a young age. Her first start was in or first start was in 2005. Some other women, Dan, who have run that race, by the way, Desiree Wilson. Actually, she failed to qualify, but she passed the test in 1982. You and I have both met Lynn St. James before. She raced mm-hmm. in seven Indy 500s and actually got finished as high as 11th in 1992. Sarah Fisher, she's actually had the fastest four-lap average and fastest single one-lap uh, qualifying speed of any woman that's ever run the Indy 500, and she has nine starts in that race, but only a best finish of 17th. And then Milka Duno, your favorite, Dano, she best finish of 19th. She's run the race three times. And some other names I'd forgotten, Anna Beatriz. She she's run the race at th- four times, 2010 to 2013. Simona Del Silvestro r- ran it five times, it's scattered between 2010 and 15. And we've also had Pippa Man, who failed to qualify this year, but she's run it six times. And Catherine Legg, who's run it a couple times. So I didn't know that there was that many women that had actually run that race. There's more women that have run an Indy really and and had success than there are in NASCAR. That's absolutely right. And you know, I got to thinking about that over the weekend. How many had run? And I, you know, I. Meeting Lynn St. James, what a class act she was. Absolutely. And and, and really a great driver. And um, I think she was, was she the first indie rookie female driver? I don't know. Uh, but... I believe that to be the case, I believe. Don't, you know, I'm correct me if I'm wrong, but um, I think she was first female rookie driver at Indy. So there, there's a lot of history, yes, and, and I'm proud of all of these women that have competed and been able to to have good runs because, Doug, think about it. You know, it, it, it's a whole lot better than me. I, I've, I've failed to run Indy, so <laughs> a lot better than me for sure, but um, to each his own, everybody kind of, has the opportunity and, and glad these people have had the opportunity and the wherewithal to get to where they are today. A couple more pieces about the Indy 500, and I definitely agree with you, Dan. And it'll be interesting to see who the next prominent female drivers are it, uh, because there aren't any in NASCAR right now that are doing very much. Yep, and, and that's the deal right there is, is knowing this and knowing the women that's competed at Indy as well as NASCAR and other series – when are we going to see more come in? What's the reason that we haven't seen more women come into the sport knowing what we know? One thing I'll say, and I hope this doesn't ruffle too many feathers. It's, it's, <laughs> and it's, it's not, because cause I think that women are just as capable to drive as men. There's just something to say. It's just like, why aren't there that many African-American drivers and this, and this nationality and that? Look, 
the main people that have always been into racing in America have always been white men. That's just a fact. You, you can't, <laughs> you just can't get around. Like that's just something that appeals more. They're, they're. I mean, it just, it's not nothing natural. It just, it's kind of how it is. It's cultural. It's not a glass ceiling. I think that if I think it's more area and and what you were exposed to growing up and so forth. Um, I told somebody at one time they were talking about. Um, uh, racing uh, discriminates against everybody else, and oh, yeah. I'd say the only thing that discriminates in racing is lack of money. Because, Correct, because it is an expensive sport, and and unless you have access to someone who has money or the wherewithal to put you in a ride, or the opportunity is presented to you, it's it's a tough sport to get into just because you. You know, in baseball, you need a, a ball and a bat and a glove. And in football, you, you need the pigskin. So, you know, what? Uh, there, there isn't anything in racing that is cheap. No, not at all. And it's just not a matter all. of who's into what. I mean, it, it really is that, too. So that those are great points. And another thing I want to point out about Indy as we move from that, willpower in victory lane to me was worth watching the whole race. Seeing him, he oh, looked like he got sweet. bit by something. He was so he was rapidly excited. You know, Seen I can his do wife, everything Holly. Doug in Victory Lane except the milk. I could not do the milk. Uh, and and he doesn't drink milk. He kind of faked the milk. He poured it in his mouth and sort of spit it out and let it just run all over his body because he yeah, doesn't drink milk. Yeah, but I couldn't milk. pour it all over me like he did that deal. That that deal there that would sour, and I'm like, oh, what did I just do? <laughs> yeah, and and I heard uh, Alexander Rossi two years ago. I was listening to this on. Uh, on Jeff Gluck's podcast, he actually asked Alexander Rossi about he, how he'd preserved his wreath from Victory Lane, and Rossi wanted as I don't know if he was a rookie, but he wanted as a brand new kind of unknown driver two years ago, which was really exciting. And Rossi actually preserved the whole wreath, and and, and they were Jeff Gluck was talking about with the uh, guy that runs the NASCAR Chasm account on that podcast wait if you preserve it like what happens to that milk that's on there does it curdle under the preserve they clean it off i mean there's some bit stuff but but willpower and victory lane seeing him just i mean screaming for joy i mean he couldn't even it's almost he just wanted to jump out of his skin and his wife holly of course was just i've never seen somebody that excited (laughs) yeah yeah i was going like okay holly chill out you know well we're on the race okay we're good you made it but I've never we're seen to, someone we're that going excited. To Disneyland. <laughs> I've never seen someone that excited to win before. I've, I really, I, I really. Yeah, haven't. but don't you just love the passion? And that's what's missing yes. in a lot of this is don't you just love the passion? Exactly. And so, no matter how boring it was, in some parts, and the Indy 500 was the most exciting of the three races, and we'll mention the other two in a minute. No matter how boring it was to me, in some parts, seeing that exultation there in Victory Lane was worth was worth sitting there for four, three or four hours and watching 500 miles of racing at Indy because Will Power has done everything in his IndyCar career except win that race, and that was it for him. Uh, another thing, too, about that race is seeing the drivers so much on edge out there, spinning out, wrecking a lot. There were a lot of breaks in the action, and that was probably the saving grace for some of the fuel mileage that came up and also for just the fact that they got bunched up, at least on restarts. Uh, but another thing, too, Dan, I just want to point out again, a lot of people, when they comment about this race, they talk about willpower winning, they talk about Danica's last race, and they talk about Alexander Rossi going sometimes four wide on restarts and just hanging it out there. Did you, I mean, He did, and, and he really amazed me in what he could do in the car and how confident and, and how smooth he was in that car. I really thought he would be the one that, that in, in the end, would be – 
one of the four, three or four or five that would be there to compete for the win. That was disappointed that I didn't see him come up and do that. I was expecting that also. And so the, the yeah, top but it's not the last you'll see of him. I know that. Not at all. Time. And he, again, he won it two years ago. So the top 10 in the Indy 500 were Will Power, Ed Carpenter, who started on the pole and probably had the best car for most of the race there. He actually led 65 laps to Will Power's 59. Scott Dixon had a low-key low third-place finish. He hung in there. Alexander Rossi was fourth. Ryan hunter Ray came back from pit road, uh, I think uh, pit or loose uh, wheel or something. I think he had to make an extra pit stop for a puncture. He was fifth. Sixth place was the Penske car, Simon Pagano. Carlos Munoz in a one-off race for Andretti Autosport was seventh. Eighth was Joseph Newgarden, who is the face of IndyCar right now, the reigning champion. He was not much of a factor. I was surprised Sunday. Ninth goes to the uh, young driver, Robert Wickens from, from Canada, and he's someone that they've talked about a lot this year. And then Graham Rahal finished 10th. So uh, Danica Patrick, by the way, because we need to mention that, right? Danica Patrick's final race, it ended on lap 70 or lap 67, and she finished in the 30th spot after that wreck there. So she was very emotional, Dan, afterwards. I had Usually she blabbers on in an interview. She'll talk for a long time. She was, Yeah, but I think this is one of those deals where I fully expected her to jump out of the car and be like Helio was um, I, I need a redo. Give, yeah. give me one more yes. Indy. I need a, a do-over. Yeah, and, and let's explain. Elio Castroneves, when he got interviewed, he said, Roger, because Roger Pitsky told him if he won the race, he'd let him win, win, win it again next year or run it again. And so he goes, Roger, give me one more chance, you know? <laughs> yeah, sitting there sitting there in a wadded-up race car. Give me one more chance. Yeah, well, Elio is one of the greatest in the sport of all time. Another popular win, Daniel Ricardo in the F1 Grand Prix of Monaco, but he literally led every lab, one by seven seconds. The second-place finisher, Sebastian Vettel, was 10 seconds ahead of Lewis Hamilton. Hamilton, and then the field was a little more close together after that. There were only 13 cars that finished on the lead lap in a huge race course like that. So at Monaco, drivers started were starting to call for changes, actually, in the course, and they have to get it run by Prince Albert of Monaco because they've been racing that same configuration for decades. So I thought that was interesting because, to me, that seems like a lot of F1 races are like that. <laughs> but... You know, Doug, it was it was definitely an interesting weekend for racing, and um, then you go into the 600, and uh, as I told you when we were talking earlier, I think the 600 needs to be sponsored by Sleep Number or Mattress Firm. <laughs> it was, that was, you know, it started at, what, 620 or so, and it was, I mean, I'll admit, look, well, this podcast airs on, P- on PRN's network, on GoPRN.com, which is part of SMI, which owns Charlotte Motor Speedway, and I love Charlotte Motor Speedway, but I was fighting to stay awake through that race after having watched racing all day. It was all Kyle Busch. Yeah, maybe it needs to be sponsored by a coffee company. <laughs> there you go, yeah. Get the Keurig, the Keurig 600. Although Coke, yeah. Coca-Cola has caffeine in it. Maybe I should have had an ice-cold Coca-Cola, huh? Maybe I should have had a six-pack Oh yeah, <laughs> of Coca-Cola. Of Coca-Cola, yes, yes. Yep. So Kyle mm-hmm. Busch, and I I just see this season breaking down, and I know it's boring sometimes because people Captain dominate. Captain Herb, don't you just love it? Captain Herb, the hair on his head would have been standing up. And I he's, can't believe. I, I can hear him, Kyle the pile. I, I can can't believe that on a day where we remember veterans, Kyle Busch drove a Toyota to victory lane. That's, that's, what, that's, that's what he, pretty much what it would be like, Kyle the Pie. But Kyle Bush is starting to get more popular. He's starting to get more cheers. He still gets a lot of boos. He's still very polarizing. But he's because – Yeah, because but one thing for sure, whether you like him or whether you don't, 
you have to admire the fact of, of what he can do in a race car. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, you, you have got to, you really got to admire him for what he can do. And, and it's just like we said about, uh, Dale Earnhardt senior, not comparing the two, but it, it's the fact that, um, Cal backs up what he does as well as what Dale senior backed up what he did. Certainly. And Dale senior ended up being wildly popular, by the yes. by the end yep. of it all, and I don't know that Kyle Busch will reach those heights, but he no, I don't abs- either. But but you've got to admire him for for what he's been able to put together and what he's been able to do. Because once he left Hendrick, I thought that deal was pretty much done at that point in time. Really, and uh, boy, he's he's really handed it back to to everyone who thought his career was for the most part peaked at that time. So let's rewind the clock. That was back in 2007 when the announcement was made. 2007 was Kyle Busch's last full year in the number five Hendrick Motorsports Chevrolet. Kyle Busch goes and replaces J.J. Yaley in a number 18 car at Joe Gibbs Racing that had struggled mightily for the last three or four years. Bobby Labonte's last couple of years driving the 18 were not like what it was when he won his championship. And then J.J. Ailey came in and really really struggled, just was not experienced enough. Joe Gibbs had two rookie drivers in the same year, Yaley and Hamlin, in 2006. And Hamlin went up, Yaley went down. That's just how it worked. So Kyle Busch was going from Hendrick Motorsports to a very questionable number 18 team. And he won eight races in 2008 with a big old middle finger out the window. <laughs> to, to, yeah. I mean, that's just what it was. I highly encourage everybody listening to go to goprn.com or iTunes and subscribe to the Fast Talk uh, that uh, podcast. It's actually a show that airs on the radio, too, that's been hosted for years by Doug Rice. And he does a wonderful interview in studio with Kyle Busch after the Coca-Cola 600 that is just very telling. And it's 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 very eye-opening to how much determination he has and how uh, maybe you'll get a different view of Kyle Busch after hearing that. One thing that Kyle says in the interview is, because Doug Rice said, you just won the Coke 600. It's your first ever points-paying Cup Series win at Charlotte. He has now won at every track on the circuit. He's like, do you soak up a thing like this where you've dominated? And he goes, honestly, I don't even remember victory lane. And this was just two hours after the race. He's like, I was so determined, so focused driving that race car that when I got to victory lane, it was just going through the motions. I don't even remember it. Yeah, but Doug, this is where we talk about attrition in races in in history, Peist. Yes. Okay, the the driver's have a lot more conveniences that the drivers of decades ago didn't have. The cars are probably over the course of 600 miles, a lot more friendly to the driver friendly. I would say as far as being able to the power steering and other things that you have. And, and, you know, I, I thought about that as the race started and went on and how Kyle was, from lap one, everybody competes like it's the last lap. Yes. You you know, everybody was was wide open from lap one and not just Cal, but in years past, everybody would, would for the most part pace themselves because they knew if, if one driver got out and, and and got out early and stretched out that number one uh, fatigue would either set in mm-hmm. or attrition that the car would not make it the full length of the race. So it was pace yourself in the earlier years where now you go out and run 600 miles, just wide open and as hard as you can run. And is, 
is the 600, has it outlived its time in, in, in history here? Well, and we talked about it last week. Maybe it should be a shorter mm-hmm. race. I, you know, it, it would be nice if there was a way to make the cars less durable. <laughs> it just, it would really uh, do, you run, do you run a thousand laps or a thousand miles yeah. instead of 600 miles? Do you try to stretch it to where attrition and fatigue does take its toll? Do you do that? I don't know. Brad Kozlowski said one time, I think in one of Jeff Gluck's 12 questions interviews, Jeff, pay me some money, bro. I mentioned you twice today. Pay me some money, jeffgluck.com. Okay, back to me. Um, (laughs) But Jeff Gluck, I think it was in a 12 questions interview where he asked, how many laps do you think could you run before you would actually wear out in a race? And Brad Kozlowski said it would probably have to be at least 1,000 laps, just like you said. You hit it on the head. But he said maybe a thousand lap race. By the time I got to the end of that, both myself and the car would be to the point where we, it would be hard to compete. Well, you know, we both saw Greg Biffle at Gresham. They came over there and they worked on two cars, I believe, all day long. And he probably ran a thousand or twelve hundred laps. No kidding. I was not there for and, that. Greg Biffle ran twelve hundred laps in a yeah, one day yeah, test at and, Gresham. And they ran all day long. They just did not quit all day long between two cars they would work on one he would get out of one get in the other one they'd work on it while he was running and they went through five front end assemblies trying to sort out which one they thought was the best or the best setup for short track and um they ran between a thousand twelve hundred laps and it was just remarkable and got out and and looked like he could probably run another twelve hundred that's a yeah it, it, things have changed, and that's why, like you said, maybe working on the length of the race is something they could do. Honestly, before they talk about the length of the race, they need to work on this package, all right? And it just does not work at Charlotte. They put track by in the upper groove. It was still hard to pass. Kyle Busch was lapping into the top ten by the end of stage four. I actually thought thought the first three stages of the Coke 600 were okay. They were Because there were enough cautions, they kept bunching them up. Kyle Busch would drive off on the restarts, but there were a lot of comers and goers. You would see Kurt Busch show up in the top five. Where's he been all night? You know, And he just kind of chipped away at it. Then he had a good pit stop, and then they'd have a restart. Boom. And But at the end, it just, I mean, spread out large. And so they, they have got to work on this package. I don't know that the restrictor plate... Uh, the restrictor plate, extended splitter, front air ducts, high You know, the fans loved that deal. The fans loved it because it yeah. grouped everybody up. But, it, and the All Star race gotta, is totally different. Yeah. You got to wonder how many cars you're going to tire up in that deal, too. Yeah. It, is it pure racing? It comes to this tension here, and I don't want to spend forever on this, Dan, but are we doing pure racing or are we trying I to think do we racing left entertainment? Pure racing a long time ago. Right. Well, and then in that case, then maybe then you start going for that plate package deal. All right. So, one quick little pivot here. I want to talk about a streak of Kevin Harvick's that ended on Sunday night. Dan, do you have any guesses? Um, no, I don't. I know we talked about this, but if I could do a graph, if I could do one of the chart graphs, it would probably look like Mount Everest on uh, one on the top side and then on the bottom side, uh, what's the deepest valley in the world? The uh, Mariana Trench. <laughs> That's the lowest yeah, point in the yeah. world. Yeah. So Kevin Harvick, on lap 83, he had to start about 37th of the race. He started toward the back. And Kevin Harvick cut a tire on lap 83. He had driven up to fourth place in just that short amount of time. Talk about difference in, in generations, right? And he cut a left front tire, pounded the wall, and finished in 40th place. 
Kevin Harvick had never, and this is, by the way, from uh, Brock Beard, who runs runs a website, lastcar.info. Just search last car, and he always writes about the last place finishers in each race. It's a great website. Kevin Harvick's first last place finish of his cup career, Xfinity career, and truck career combined. He has never finished last, and he is right, and he got this goes all the way back to his first ever truck race in 1995. Think about that. Never finished last. Well, as we said, this season's going to have a lot of firsts, and um, it ain't over yet. Now, I will I will give a caveat. Harvick has uh, has finished last in the Sprint Unlimited, which is the what used to be the Bud Shootout. And he finished last in the All Star race in two thousand and one, but never in a points paying race. As he finished, I, th- I mean that's that just shows. I mean, that's some pretty of that's incredible. Luck. It is pretty incredible. Some of that's luck, but it shows how consistent Harvick is. He's not an erratic driver. He is somebody that keeps his car together. Usually gets up there and runs up front. Even in the years where he wasn't having a lot of success at Childress, he finished races, and he had a long time no DNF streak too. He and Clint Boyer both that back in the mid late two thousands uh, last last. Yeah, but decade, does this you know? also play into the deal where NASCAR is you got a five minute rule and and if you don't run so fast that you fix a car and you're you're limited on what you can and can't fix I guess so there's a lot of things that's changed over the decades that that you have to factor in but um in the modern racing and that's what you got to look at I I think modern racing you know this this is the way it is Absolutely. Well, the the crash clock, which is six minutes, definitely plays into that because they, they would have come out and tried to race, but really you don't even need the points once you're in the playoffs. So that, that's the yeah, other thing, too. Yeah, because one of the races, Kale blew up, and they changed an the engine in less than 15 minutes yeah. and got him back out and running again. Okay, so, yeah, NASCAR so that got rid of that. <laughs> NASCAR got rid of that. So that being said, yeah. we talk about points. This might be a season, Dano, that – we might only have a few winners, and that points might really matter for a lot of drivers because 16 drivers make the Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series playoffs, and we are now halfway through the regular season. The regular season is 26 races, and we are, we've now completed 13 points races. Your points leader is Kyle Busch. Kyle Busch is, is your points leader. I'm trying to see what differential is. 67 points is what he leads Joey Logano by. Would you believe Kevin Harvick, for all the talk, is only third in points? Yeah, I would believe it. He's he's got five wins, nine nine top fives, ten top tens. Average finish at ten point three though, because he's had three races where he's wrecked. Kevin Harvick is third in points. Brad Keselowski fourth. Martin Truex Jr. only in fifth. Remember, he was up high last year. Sixth is Kurt Busch. Seventh, Denny Hamlin. Eighth, Clint Boyer. Ninth, Kyle Larson. And tenth is Eric Almirola. And then the drivers eleventh through sixteenth that would. Uh, that actually 11th through 15th that would make the playoffs because Austin Dillon is actually sitting there and 19th in points, but he won the Daytona 500. So the other five or six drivers that would make it, Ryan Blaney, Jimmy Johnson, Eric Jones, Alex Bowman, and Chase Elliott. And actually Chase Elliott is tied with Ricky Stenhouse Jr. for 15th in points, but Chase has better finishes, therefore you got it. So, okay, so we look at we look at the points right now, Dan, and we look at where we are halfway through this regular season. What are some surprises? We've already done this drivers that have been really good and drivers that have been disappointing, but now we have a lot more races under our belt. What stands out to you? You know, I think the only thing to me that stands out so far is the fact that Hendrick has not been able to put it together for all the teams. Yeah. They have struggled. Whatever is going on in that organization has struggled. 
And um, I still say that we will see that change before your playoffs at the end of the year, obviously. And um, I, I think that nothing else surprises me this year because um, I think everybody is saving since you don't go home. You, you, you know, the charters, you don't go home. And you just got to be in the points, as you say, for the for the playoffs at the end. And and I think that's ever, what everybody that has not won a race is obviously doing. Well, and certainly, and look look just outside of the playoff bracket. So Ricky Stenhouse is tied with Chase Elliott in fifteenth in points, but technically Stenhouse, I believe, would be out as far as tiebreakers go. Paul Menard had been up there in the top ten a while. He's seventeenth. Daniel Suarez, Jamie McMurray, only twentieth in points. Uh, and and a, and a sizable margin back from the cutoff spot, Ryan Newman, and then and then here we go. Here we get down to the drivers, the very last ones that really are with full time big budget teams. I mean, there there are a lot of full time teams, but the ones that are with the marquee teams. How about the rookie of the year race being separated by two points? William Byron is only twenty second in the standings. Bubba Wallace is twenty third on a much smaller, trimmed down Richard Petty Motorsports team, and they are only two points apart. I wouldn't have guessed that one. <laughs> I wouldn't have put money on that. No, I wouldn't have put money on that. They're but both rookies. Um, this this whole season has been, uh, needless to say, strange at it the has. least. It has. Some other drivers, just looking down the list here, let's, A.J. Allmendinger's n- another bad season. He's 24th in points. David Reagan it, it probably has run better than 25th in the standings where he sits, but that, that's where he is. He's had a couple bad races, but he does have a top 10. Casey Kane really hasn't brought any vinegar or fire to that number 95 team when he replaced Michael McDowell, and he's 26th. And Chris Busher is 27th. Just a lone top five finish is really all to write home about. And then you get down here, Michael McDowell. Here's one that's just really disappointing to me, the the second-to-last driver, a third-to-last driver that's run all the races, Ty Dillon with Jermaine Racing, second full year in there, and they have been absent. To average finish, a 25th, only 29th in points. You know, Doug, with all this being said, when how come we haven't gotten a hint of silly season starting? Uh, people maybe not exactly thrilled about where they are sitting and I'm talking about owners and yes. drivers. And when do we see people starting to get restless? Well, the the first part of that was Matt Kenseth jumping in yeah. with Trevor Bain. Trevor's now missed but two races. But we know that that deal was pretty much, you know, to worry that you needed a veteran in to kind of sort things out. I, I can see that one better than I can the ones that are just – Really getting restless about what's going on, sure, and making and making a drastic move. Well, let, let's explore that for a minute then. So, as we talk about silly season here, okay. So, what? Where would you? Where? Where is a driver? I'll just ask you straight up, Dan. Where? Where is a place that you think an owner right now would be getting restless with their driver? Well, you know, you and I both know that the sponsorship deal is crucial to all of this. So you've got a sponsor that's nervous anyway, or you've got a sponsor that is looking for results, and that's what everybody's looking for, obviously. So if I'm an owner, I'm sitting there through the whole thing trying to map my moves. I'm like Earnhardt Sr. was at Daytona, trying to map my moves of where I want to be at the finish of the, of the race. So I'm trying to map the best alternative here to get me somebody that can, can get me some results no matter what I got to do. 
we know that Kurt Busch, and I totally agree that it's about the sponsor. We know that Kurt Busch had to take a bit. We assume anyway took a, take a bit of a pay cut. Had to wait late into the last season before he knew that he was going to be back in the number forty one car. And so Kurt is somebody who's on a one year contract that could come up at any point. You've got Cole Custer in the wings that Stuart. And we racing. know that there are probably going to be more one year contracts oh, yeah. based on the way things are going. And, Absolutely. And where racing is today, we're going to see more and more pressure applied to the owners and the drivers because we see the grandstands oh, and sure. their reflects where we are today. Well, uh, certainly. And so his teammates, Kurt's teammates, Clint Boyer and Eric Almarola, I thought would be in pretty much statement, even though Eric Almarola brought sp- sponsorship and this is his first year in the 10 car replacing Danica Patrick. I thought that Eric Almarola would, it would be in a position where if he didn't show up this year, it would he would be on thin ice, a short leash, if you will. He's got five top tens in his tenth in points, almost won the Daytona five hundred, and I think he's capable of winning a race later on if the cards fall right. And Clint Boyer was absent last season. He did have some consistency. This year he's got a win, three top fives, seven top tens, average average finish a tenth. That's pretty good. And is sitting there eighth in points, locked into the playoffs. They're but safe. you can't always rely on the fact that the cards falling right. Right, it's like and, and Clint Boyer doesn't have knowledge. a ton of sponsorship. Just to yep, yeah, yep. You you you've got to make it happen, just like Kyle is doing. Whatever you got to do, you got to make it happen. Right. Some other drivers that maybe we could circle, but see, it's tough. Like Paul Menard, you'd say, but nope, he's got the Menard sponsorship. Austin Dillon, you know, doesn't have a ton of results. Well. He ain't leaving the three car. We know why, right? He's he's going to be in the three yeah, car. Yeah, but but at some point in time, you you, you kind of going to have to draw the line even on that one because I know I know Childress well enough to know that they want results oh, as sure. everybody else. But their whole team has struggled too. The three, yep. the thirty-one, yep. and their satellite team, the thirteen with Ty Dillon. That they're all struggling right now. So but it's just something like that bringing Kins at the end. You, you're going to have to try something. You're going to have to go out of the box to try to make something work. You can't keep trying to drive a, a square peg in a round yeah. hole. And what's interesting with Kenseth returning to Roush Fenway Racing, Kenseth is saying the exact same complaints that Ricky Stenhouse and Trevor Bain have been saying about those cars, too. So it's it yeah. kind of validates what's going on. Uh I, would, I won't say anything about Suarez yet. I think Suarez is just in a sophomore slump. He does have four top tens this year. Here's two, though, that I think you could definitely circle when you look at drivers waiting in the wings. Jamie McMurray, the one car we've already talked about on this podcast several weeks ago. I feel like, although he had a great Coke 600, Jamie McMurray has not run well. does not run anywhere close to as well as Kyle Larson. Part of that is maybe the new Camaro. And Ryan Newman, same thing. New Camaro, not had a lot of results, only three top tens, sitting there 21st in points. Yeah, a lot of things to consider here, Dougie. Yeah, and and I, I look at the Xfinity Series. Tyler Reddick, man. Tyler Reddick won Daytona. He's got up there, run up front. He's a Chevy driver that's waiting in the ring wings. Does Tyler Reddick end up getting the phone call one day from Childress or from Ganassi saying, hey, come on, man. Well, could you imagine actually Chip Ganassi calling Tyler? And this is not a rumor. I'm not. I'm just, I'm just speculating here. There's no rumors that validate this. Could you imagine Chip Ganassi picking up the phone, calling Tyler Reddick, another dirt driver, another little guy, a little dirt driver, just like Kyle Larson, say, come on over and drive this one car. Yeah, That'd be, and, that'd be and wild to see those guys happening. riding I mean, the rail like, each know, week. Possibilities are good. Yeah. So just just throwing these things out there. I think AJ Allmendinger is another one that JTG Doherty Racing has got to look at and say, who could we get in this car? And but and the, then the question becomes, who could you get? 
who who is who is somebody that's in a lower series right now that's primed and ready to go? Well, it could be one of those deals, Doug, where we've talked about it, where you bring me a sponsorship with enough money and you can drive for the year. Well, that and that could be it. I I just and that's interesting. And then I look at Chris Busher, and I always like to harken back to him because Chris Busher's a really good driver, and he's driving for a mid-level team. And I wonder if Chris Busher is looking up and saying, "Are there any places that are going to open?" Maybe if I'm Richard Childress, I say, "I wonder if Chris Busher could drive this 31." Yeah. I, but probably not better than Ryan Newman. So it's it's tough. It may be a lateral move. A lot of things to explore and consider there. As we yeah, as we but there's a lot of drivers that that you and I both know are probably going to filter out here in the next year or two. Yep. And and the veteran drivers that um, probably were the Gillette Young Guns at one time, but are going to filter out and uh, new blood's coming in. Well, certainly. Look at Jimmy Johnson. If he's down to his last three to five years, maybe, I mean, that's probably a lot, but let's just say it's three to five. Who, who's waiting in the wings there? You know, and and, you, and we don't know because there's a new 18 year old that's showing up every year. I want to give a quick yeah. shout out, by the way, to Kaz Grala, who drove for JGL Racing up until two weeks ago, and then suddenly they decided to shut down Kaz's number or Kaz's, I should say, number 24 team. Well, Tony Yuri Jr. and Kaz Grala's father own Fury Race Cars. And they field a lot of late models, and they have put together on the on a dime. They pretty much took that 2014, 10 of the people from the team, some of the cars, some of the same sponsors, pieced it all together, and went out and ran. I think it was the number 61, and they actually got a top 10 finish in the Xfinity race on Saturday. And that's the kind of racing stories that I like to hear is people that throw a team together at the last second, even though it's kind of the same team as before, and then they have some success. That's throwback, man. Yeah. You got that right. <laughs> and I've seen those Fury cars. You were talking about that. And those Fury cars are nice cars. And if you're, uh, if you're serious about going and playing somewhere like Road Atlanta or Virginia or some places, road courses, and, and you want to go play, man, you need to look at one of those. Really? Okay. I thought they would be more of a pavement, late model type deal. That's what I was thinking, thinking Tony Uri Jr. But you're saying they do road course cars too, huh? They do road course cars where if you just want to buy one and go play, and uh, they're about a hundred grand, which ain't cheap. But if you factor in the the deal of what it costs you even to put together an old cup car and and go play, it's expensive. Sure. And I think they pretty much guarantee these things for a thousand laps. If you don't wrap it around the guardrail, then <laughs> uh, then you can go play. And when you factor in the cost per lap, which you need to do, then that's pretty inexpensive to go play. I. It sounds good, Dano. Should we do this? Do we uh, I would love to. to go? But I just got to come up with a hundred grand. Well, well, we'll go find Eric, Eric von Hessler's. Not maybe here. we just need to He's go to uh, Tony and say we need some sponsorship. <laughs> maybe listen. We need to. We just need to shake Eric von Hess. He's a big time talk show host. He's not with us today. If those are tuning in midstream, he's he's out on vacation. So but we need to shake Eric von Hessler down for a cool fifty. And then that gets us half the way there, you know. I know, That's I, I, know exactly I sure right. as heck I know don't him have it. And his career, so he he'll be good for the other hundred next year. All right. Hey, any parting shots here before we we put a rest of five to go? Uh, you know, we we keep talking about the season and, and where it's going and and how unsure it is. And um, one thing for sure, it was uh, definitely a good weekend for racing. Got to see a good bit of racing. Wish it had been a little bit more exciting, but uh, we know that the races coming up will be, and the packages 
you know, we talk about the packages that they could do to make it better. And um, I, I just wish they would put some of this stuff kind of on the face track and, and, and turn some stuff around a little bit quicker than we're seeing. And question is, is have you heard any more news on Goldman Sachs got anybody that's going to buy a NASCAR yet? There hasn't been any more news in that story, but there have been a lot of non-denials from NASCAR. So you know that something is stirring up there. And it'll be, of course, like we've said a probably hundred times today, interesting to see <laughs> what, yeah, what turns see. out. Hey, you mentioned about packages and, and when things change. And I, I think that's what you're kind of getting with is if somebody else is a major player in NASCAR or buys the whole thing, could some of that stuff happen quicker? And NASCAR lately in the last, I'd say, five years has been very responsive to problems in the sport suddenly. Now they may they they may they may there may still be systemic problems that they're not really rooting out and they're trying to tr- trim around the hedges instead of really get to the root cause. That that could be the case and maybe new ownership would do that. But with this all-star package, one of the big holdups with trying to move fast is that they have this charter system, this agreement with the owners, and they know that the owners kind of have a veto power if it's going to cost them so much money up front to even put it together. So that's the complication with it. I think NASCAR sees the fans' responses, and they know, wow, we need to get this thing out to Michigan. We're going to be at Pocono this weekend. Pocono would probably be a great race to run that, although I don't know how that would work in that uh, that tunnel turn. But it, I, I don't. <laughs> uh, Pocono might be a great race to run a package like that because the cars get so spread out. Michigan might be a great race. Maybe some of the other mile and a half. So I certainly wouldn't say Atlanta, but definitely like we saw at Charlotte. Those could be places where you could really spice it up. Oh, I've got one more, Dano. How about the Brickyard 400, which is now going to be the last race before the playoffs begin? Having yep. that package there, they, they ran well in the Xfinity Series. They didn't tear up a ton of cars, but there was a lot of lead changes. There were a lot of lead changes. That could that could be one that I would circle. I'd tell the owners right now, look, the race right before the playoffs is the Brickyard 400. You've got two months now to plan for that, or three months, whatever it is. Go for it. <laughs> that's the one yeah yeah i'll agree with that Let, let's let's do something let's put some stuff on the face track and see what we can come up with because surely with all the brains that are out there that that run these organizations and run these teams they could put something together that would make it a lot more exciting but still you know you go back to the fact that uh, obviously they like it because not a lot of changes are getting done well it's yeah it all takes time i did what i didn't want to see after the all-star race and we touched on this a bit last week, is an overreaction. Yeah, there was it was plate racing, but there was a short race that was divided up into small segments with less cars. I don't know. I, <laughs> you don't want to see an overreaction or an overcorrection either. So I'm glad that they're being oh, judicious. Oh, come on. Let's, let's see something different. Let, let's, uh, let's get off this same old, same old. Yeah, I, I, yeah, it's it's a tough tension, pure racing versus entertainment, and I, I think, like you said, we moved from pure racing a long time ago. So, but you long don't time want, ago, don't That's want to exactly overcorrect right. for that. So, as Kyle Busch said, th- that that kind of stuff is not what I signed up for. This being random, <laughs> who wins? But it wasn't random. Kevin Harvick won. Okay, so anyway, well, Dano, thanks for joining today. I know you got an appointment later on you need to get to, but I really appreciate it, and hopefully, all three of us will be back as one happy family next week. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a deal. Hope everybody has an awesome week. And uh, Eric, uh, hope you're having a good time. And uh, remember, sponsorship. We need the money. Yeah, there you go, Eric Von the the Von Hessler Doctrine Chevrolet running at Road Atlanta Fury Race Cars with 
uh, with all three of us sharing the driving duties and Dano teaching us how to build it. That sounds good to me. So <laughs> That's exactly right. We'll get the gear ratio we need for that. Place. There you go. Well, po- Pocono's up next for the Cup Series, and we probably won't talk as much about Indy being in Detroit or wherever F1's going to be. This is a big weekend, and it could have done more, but it, definitely three winners, three wins that you can respect. And so we'll go on to this next week with that in our minds. So for Dano Elliott from Dawsonville, I'm Doug Fireball Turnbull from the WSB Traffic Team here in Atlanta, and of course, Phil and Pitt reporter for PRN. And we will talk to you next week on 5 to Go. Save big money now on new siding from LP Smart Side at Menards. Update and beautify your home with your choice of 13 timeless colors of pre finished engineered siding. It's durable and includes a Sherwin-Williams factory finish paint warranty. That means no painting for years to come. View our entire selection of siding from LP SmartSide today. And don't forget to check out our flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big money.